I made Joe do an intro just so I could hear how wonderful I am. <laughs> Gotta take what you can get. Today we're continuing the um, Reality Bite series. I'm personally getting a lot out of this series. There's a lot of wisdom in it. Um, Josh was fantastic last week. I love that we're talking about real issues in church, you know, real life issues like fear and hope and um, because we're all in that same boat of trying to figure out how our life relates to what we believe and how we live that out. Um, so I was quite happy when I saw, <laughs> sounds ridiculous, it was quite, I was quite happy when I saw that the topic was dealing with disappointment. <laughs> I know that on the face of that it sounds like a bit of a depressing topic, but actually it's something that we all deal with at some point. And whether you're a Christian or not, we're not immune to life. And I don't think Christians should be so super spiritual that we don't feel or hurt or struggle. Um, and when I think about the, the struggles that I've gone through in my own life, I think everyone's contained at least an element of disappointment in it. And when you're struggling with that disappointment, there's so many temptations to go the wrong way. So I label my, um, my message today's titled, The Three Temptations of Disappointment. What you see, what you hear, and what you say. So first of all, what you see. So I was thinking that disappointment looks something like this. Your expectation is somewhere around here, here, or here, and you find out that reality is actually somewhere around there. <laughs> And your first natural instinct is to look down there because that's where the problem is and that's normal. Uh, but this is the pivotal moment. That's the temptation. Where do you look next? Um, when I was a teenager, which was many, many years ago, thank you, God, um, there are a lot of really awful things that happen and I won't go into too much detail because I don't want to freak you all out. Um, but I had some really massive disappointments, sort of one after the other after the other, and I found out some really shocking things about people that I loved and I trusted, and I didn't know how to handle it. It just absolutely devastated me. I felt so let down. Um, I knew Jesus. I had a relationship with him. I loved God. I was, I was a full-on Christian, but I didn't have the spiritual or the emotional um, capacity to handle it. So I blamed God. I was completely disappointed in him. I felt that he'd absolutely let me down. And um, although I couldn't manage to actually completely stop believing in him, though not for lack of trying, to be perfectly frank, um, I didn't like him very much, and I certainly didn't trust him anymore. I had sort of this tunnel vision where I couldn't take my eyes off my disappointment. And then I was wondering why I couldn't get past it. I became completely self-destructive, and I did a lot of really stupid things, and I ended up really disappointed in myself, ironically. And years later, I was able to go to God, and he, um, he helped me undo the damage and to forgive some people. But I discovered that if you don't deal with disappointment really early on, it can lead to a whole lot more disappointment, and it can be really destructive. And I know this might sound really obvious, but what you see depends on what you're looking at. And please don't understand me. I'm definitely not saying that we should ignore or deny the very real problems that we face. Absolutely not at all. But the problems are not the answer. And the problems don't bring us hope. 
Psalm 121, 1 to 3, if we could get that up, says, I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. We lift our eyes up to a God who truly understands how we feel and is deeply compassionate for us. Jesus was a real man, and he suffered real disappointments. Like for example, he was just before he died, he went up to the Garden of Gethsemane with all his mates, all his buddies, to pray. And he was about to be arrested, tortured, and killed. And he was literally sweating blood. So there he is with his friends. He goes off with a few of them. And when he comes back, the rest of his mates are asleep. Seriously? Asleep. Having a lovely little siesta while he's sweating blood. And the temptation for him to give them a piece of his mind and tell them, you ungrateful, I've done so much for you, I've laid down my life. He could have told them how thoughtless they were. He could have guilt-tripped them and shamed them. But he didn't. And I'm sure although it made him really, really sad, he knew where his help comes from. And he looked up. It says in John 16.32, he said this to his disciples. He said, you will leave me all alone. Yet I'm not alone, but for my Father is with me. And when we look to the Father, we're actually open to receive comfort. We're open to receive hope, and we're open to receive faith. And we start to see things from heaven's perspective. We start to see the problem as, instead of seeing that problem as sort of huge compared to us, we start to see it as small compared to the size of our God. The second temptation is what we hear. Because often the next thing we do after we've looked at the problem is that we want to share it with our friends. And that's good. It's really good to get prayer support. It's really good to feel understood. Um, and actually, sometimes the most healing thing in a situation can be having somebody who comes along, and they're not trying to fix it. They're not trying to tell you it's all going to be better. They just say, I'm here. I'm with you. Not going anywhere. Tell me how you feel. And then they just listen to you. That's beautiful. But while you're in those early stages of wrestling with what that disappointment's actually going to mean to your life, we can be quite vulnerable to the wrong voices um, because we just want to feel better. And the Bible encourages us, you know, over and over in Proverbs to get wise counsel, to get wise counsel. But the emphasis on the wise counsel part, we've probably all got those friends, you know, who they'll agree with anything we say. And they'll agree that, yes, you're the victim and, yes, you're justified and they'll ramp up your fear level, but they won't actually lead you to God Proverbs 12, 26 says, The righteous choose their friends carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. There's this window of time when we're tempted to listen to things that lead us in the wrong direction. We all want to hear a little sympathy and some comfort, but the temptation comes in when we have to decide who are we going to listen to. And that's not just our friends. That can be your own internal voice that can actually lead you astray. Because disappointment can be really scary, and it, and it leaves you feeling unsafe and unsure of what you can trust. So whatever, the te- um, so whatever that temptation is for you, if you keep listening to things that feed your fear, 
and don't listen to things that, you know, feed your faith, then you can end up really stuck. So both the, the voices of friends and the voices in our own head have to be sort of filtered through the word of God. Um, it says in 2 Corinthians 10.5 that we demolish arguments and take every pretension and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Does that voice meet that criteria of love and obedience to Christ? Does it sound like Jesus? Is that his way? He never speaks fear. So if you're hearing fear, then it's lying. And if, and if you read the Bible, you became more familiar and more familiar with the sound of his voice. You sort of know, yeah, that's not really what he's like. Because the most important voice that, of any voice that we hear is, is the voice of God. Um, and I don't know if you know this, but God actually talks to us. Somebody once said to me, um, if you talk to God, that's prayer. But if God talks to you, that's schizophrenia. <laughs> I, I love that. <laughs> but he actually does communicate his wisdom and his will and his plan to us, which is incredible. He calls us his friends. And the Bible's his voice. That's why it's called his word. He communicates in every possible way. And if you truly want to know what his plan is for you, he will let you know. Um, but here's the kicker with this. And, and again, this might sound blindingly obvious. Um, but you have to be listening in order to hear. It's like little kids, you know, when you're trying to teach them how to do something. And they've already decided they know how to do it and they know better. And so they're just going to go off and do their own thing. And then when it doesn't work out, they come back and they want to blame you for the fact it didn't work out. Ugh. It's impossible to teach somebody who's not actually actively listening and following. There's sort of um, this attitude of sort of quiet anticipation where you're open to hearing from God. And if you don't think he's going to speak to you, you might not notice when he does. The third temptation is what you say. Check out this verse from James 3, 3 to 5. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal or take a ship as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. Wow. The whole direction of your life can be determined by your tongue. That's massive. It's so tempting to speak negative things when you're disappointed, um, to complain or to criticize or to blame somebody or... You might even be the kind of person who just blames yourself. And it's really satisfying and empowering sometimes to, to want to tear somebody up with your words. Um, we find ourselves also declaring how big the problem is and how impossible it's ever going to be to fix it. And, or you might be the kind of person and your temptation is more that you, you clam up and you don't want to talk to anybody and you don't really want to share. And, and that, that temptation is different for all of us. But what if that scripture is true? What if the direction of your life from the moment of that disappointment is determined by what you say? If, if you actually knew for sure that you were writing the life story, your life story with your words, would that change what comes out of your mouth? Um, my family went through an incredibly difficult time last year. 
Um, I was very sick, and I was unable to do anything for four months. Um, and it was quite scary, because I'd been sick before, and it had lasted for years and years. So when I looked at the problem, it didn't look good. So in the natural, it was quite overwhelming to look at this body that just wasn't working. Um, that was my day-to-day -day reality, and I had to give up my job. Um, I had to stop doing all the things that mattered to me. I couldn't look after my own children. Um, we were due to start C3 Cares Outreach, which I knew God had called me to do, but I was so weak I could barely speak some days. So I actually had to live out what I'm talking about here today. And I'm not saying that to make myself noble. I'm saying that because it was a huge struggle. Yeah. And I'm telling you, there was some, out of that place of struggle came some really, really beautiful things. But when you're in it, that beautiful outcome is not how you feel. Absolutely not. When you're in it, it's not pretty. <laughs> but that doesn't actually mean you're failing. As Josh said last week, I love this, God is with you and he has a plan for you. God is with me, he has a plan for me. So I had to use my mouth and I had to ask him lots of things. You know, what's going on? What do I do here? Am I doing something wrong? Um, you know, how am I going to cope with this? And sometimes we wonder why God's not doing anything and we've actually forgotten to ask him. <laughs> the Bible says we have not because we ask not. It's funny how we forget. Um, and then after I prayed, I had to sort of wait and listen and look for his direction in that. Um, fortunately, I believed God had specifically told me that, it, that I would be healed and that it wouldn't be long. But <laughs> you probably know that God's definition of long and our definition of long is not always quite the same. So I was waiting for this healing to happen and the days passed and then the weeks passed, and then the months passed, and I had to go back to God and say, hang on a minute. <laughs> hmm. I had to ask him again. And strangely, I became quite grateful for all of the struggles that I've been through in the past, because if you know that, you know, having been through those struggles, you build up some spiritual and emotional muscles that make the next thing easier to cope with. Um, so I had to put into practice what he taught me, and even though I would much rather frankly, I've just had a pity party for one. I, f I knew that, first of all, I couldn't focus on the phys actual physical problem. I couldn't put my hope in the doctors, and I couldn't put my hope in my own determination and self-motivation to get out of it. I knew that if I put my hope in me, I was in trouble. Um, the only place my hope was actually going to do any good at all was if it was in the guy who could do something about it, and that's Jesus. Uh, he's the only one who has any power anyway. So secondly, I knew that I couldn't listen to the voice inside my head that was constantly reminding me how bad it was before and, and how difficult it had been and how no one could fix it and how it didn't look good. And I actually couldn't listen to my friends and my family if they got scared for me. Um, I had to sort of blank that out and not listen to that. And I couldn't listen to my own self-blame because when you're in difficulty, there's, there's often a lot of that going on. I couldn't get into criticizing doctors or focusing on the information I found on Google. We've all done it. Um, and thirdly, I think one of the biggest keys for me that I, I know determined the outcome of that illness was my mouth. I knew I had to guard my tongue. 
um, Proverbs 13.3 said, those who guard their lips preserve their lives. Wow. I had to say what I saw when I looked up and not what I saw when I looked down. Um, because words are containers of power for good or for evil. And if we fill up those containers with hope and with faith and with power, then God has the opportunity to send back to us an answer full of hope and faith and power. I found I had to use my own tongue to remind myself of who God is. I mean, you think of the Israelites. They, as soon as they saw the giants, they forgot who God was. Now, they had just seen the Red Sea parted in front of them. So if they can forget who God is, it's not surprising that we can sometimes forget who God is. So I had to, keep, I had to start saying to myself, no, I know I'll be healed soon. This is not God's plan for my life. He's not going to leave me. He's done this before. He'll do it again. And look, I know that sounds holy and lovely and, you know, so Christian, but it's not easy and it's not pretty when you're in a real-life difficulty. And although that started out of a place of obedience, it very quickly became the cry of my heart. If you pour the scriptures in, then they begin to all pour back out when you need them so desperately. <laughs> And you know what? I realized he, he does love me. Actually, his goodness and his mercy do follow me. He's with me. He's for me. He's not against me. His love's not going to just bail on me and fail. He's got a plan for my future. I, I knew that. And as you put your hope in him, something really beautiful happens. I love the scripture from Isaiah 40, 31. Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. Wow. And that's actually what happened. It was quite bizarre. But day after day, I ended up in this incredible, absolutely indescribable, ridiculous joy. <laughs> it was so beautiful, I, I failed to be able to describe it with words. And I found myself saying to God, you are so good to me. You are so good to me. You are so good to me. And here I am, flat on my back on my bed. I can't even look after my own children. And saying, you are so good to me. And it was so true. And I knew it was true. And I would attempt to describe this joy to Alan or to, you know, other friends. And <laughs> it probably just sounded like a nutter. Because it didn't seem to make any sense in the natural but I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I had the best time. <laughs> I felt so loved. I felt so at peace. I felt like it was just in the palm of his hand. I was absolutely protected. It, was, it stayed with me ever since. And yet all around me was this chaos, were these circumstances that had not changed yet. <laughs> but I didn't need the circumstances to change to find my hope. I'd found him. I'd already found him, and he is so beautiful. The disappointment just kind of faded away because I knew I had a much more compelling appointment with him. And I'll finish with this. Growing up, one of my favorite songs was this. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of the earth will grow strangely dim. 
in the light of his glory and grace. Let's pray.